You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Hey everyone, welcome to 128, based on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Ed and Deb Wines. I think you're really going to benefit from this conversation. So many of our listeners were actually raised in uh, Christian homes, loving homes, and uh, you kind of wonder, well, how does a journey of faith work when it seems as if you're surrounded constantly by uh, great Christian values and standards? And uh, different people have different reactions to that. I think you're going to really appreciate their journey of faith, both separate and then together. Some real insights here, both about how to handle hardship, but also just about the consistency and faithfulness that's required in a community of faith and the power of a church to shape you in your journey of spiritual maturity. So without much further ado, let's get into it. What an awesome thing to be in the same room again with Ed and Deb Wines. Thank you both for joining me and just being willing to talk and share your story a little bit. Um, most of our listeners may not know this, but when I was brand new to Naperville, you hosted me in your home. We did. And uh, I just remember, uh, I think at first I was with the Mons and then I was with you. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys were so gracious and just mm-hmm. so kind and I've served uh, as deacons, I yes. believe, served in the mm-hmm. welcome team. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been a long time servants at, at Grace Point mm-hmm. and um, kind of a staple around here. Um, to paint a picture for, for some of you, Ed is six, eight. Six, eight. I was going to say six, eight. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. I guessed right. My mom would have said six, eight and three quarters. And three quarters, so almost six, nine. But it was very specific. But it really wasn't true. <laughs> Six eight. Yeah. She was convinced it was. But yeah. She was convinced it was closer to six nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Ed's hard to miss. Yes. But uh, but you're not going to get a greater gentle mm-hmm. giant um, <laughs> than Ed Wines. Mm-hmm. And um, and for those who again you're going to get a chance to hear their story just a little bit. But um, I'm telling you, just two incredibly faithful faithful believers who love the Lord and love people, and. Um, this particular conversation, I think, is in some ways uh, torture for Ed, who's a, who, who is a, like he's an introvert. But what's interesting about you, Ed, is that even though you're an introvert, uh, I see you out welcoming people. You go out of your way to meet yes. people. And so uh, mm-hmm. is that just kind of the spirit prompting you to be around people? Is it you would prefer to be in a cave? Do, is it are you a secret extrovert? Is there something we don't know about you? Um. I think it is kind of the spirit prompting me. It's something I enjoy doing, but it's something that I probably wouldn't do naturally. Okay. And I don't know if I'm an introvert or some days. Some days I think I'm just slow, where I come up with like the answer to the conversation that I really wanted to give after I get home. <laughs> so, so you have? Do you have a running conversation going in your mind? At most run, maybe slowly jogging. Slowly jogging yeah. conversation right. happening. Mm-hmm. So Deb, usually, you know, if, if we have a question, she'll usually say something first. And I come yeah. in after that. Yeah. I tend right, to talk right first answer. and think later, and he thinks first. And well, then I talks. don't know you like that. I know that you're pretty effervescent, Deb, and you're uh, someone who's articulate. You're a teacher. Yes. I uh, teach at the college level. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know you, know you to also be incredibly smart and intelligent. And so you're just fun. You're, you're a bubbly personality to be around. And so it's uh, it's neat to see how God puts people together. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about your story just a little okay. bit because this is uh, really this is a conversation about how you became spiritually mature. Like, what did God do? What was the journey mm-hmm. of faith you were on? Mm-hmm. And just to remind everybody, this is not about spiritual perfection. Right. None of us will be spiritually perfect until the day we die. So what's so funny is. Uh, sometimes we we come into situations like this where someone's like, well, how did you do it? And you're thinking, well, I'm still a work in progress. Absolutely. Like, how did I do it? But, uh, but I, I, there's something about devotion that gets nailed down along the way. And, um, and when you start to wrestle with um, comfort versus uh, fellowship as opposed to 
am I totally in love with God mm -hmm. all the time? Am I on the roller coaster? Am I just now learning about his word and what's legalism, what's not legalism? All kind of those other, mm -hmm. those other things. So um, now uh, you both met when you were how old, out of curiosity? Well, I'm older than him, That's, so. Okay. Hey, you're, you're the one that made it, right? I'm married to an older woman as well. That's okay. Yeah. But, but how old were you guys? I was uh, 27. Okay. You were 22. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. excellent. You're both in grad school. All right. Yeah. So you both met in grad school. Right. So in your mid-20s, really. Kind yeah. Of mm -hmm. All right, mm -hmm. so there's history, obviously, earlier than the 20s. Yeah. And so, Deb, let me start with you. Okay. And, uh, that'll give Ed a chance to start a slow job. <laughs> um, Deb, where, uh, where were you born? I was born in Washington State. Yeah, where in Washington State? Ellensburg. Where is that? It's right smack dab in the middle. In of the, the middle state. of Washington State. Yes. My dad was a college professor at uh, a state school there. Wow. And what did he teach? Economics. Economics. Mm -hmm. So, you're raised in an academic environment? Yes. And yeah. siblings? Do you have siblings? I have two older sisters and a younger brother. Okay, so four, four children, children and you're the third. I'm the third. Wow, okay. And what's yeah. the spacing? Uh, two and a half years roughly between each of us. Between everybody. Right. Now, how do you go from Washington State to Illinois? To Rhode Island. To oh, Illinois. Well, of course, the natural course. route you go to Rhode Island. <laughs> yes. What was I thinking? My parents were both from New England, oh. and my they had lived in the Pacific Northwest, loved it, but they needed to be near family. They really wanted to bring their kids up near grandparents and How old were cousins you when you and uncles. Moved? I was five. So you moved to Rhode Island when you were five? Yes. Got it. So most of my memories are from Rhode Island. So would you so. say that's really where you were raised? That's where I was raised, yeah, okay. definitely. And then... Um, family background environment was it a christian yes. home and by mm -hmm. christian i don't mean like religious mm -hmm. or even religiously christian i mean christ-centered mm -hmm. parents were followers very much very, very much, much so. yes yeah uh grew up uh, both both my parents were very active and involved in our church it was a good church small church yeah uh, but a good so, church so lots of great conversations it's, you know when you're raised by believing parents the great thing is the conversation doesn't stop at the church right yeah. You know, it, it gets mm -hmm. somehow it makes its way to the dining room right. table. And the church was really our life. You know, yeah. it was you know, outside of my dad working. My mom um, stayed at home with the four kids. But our life was the church. Was so you grew up like a good church girl in a Absolutely. small church in Rhode Island. Yes. So you were you like one of those daughters that, you know, didn't make any mistakes and you came up and through. It was pretty easy. And yeah, like I, you got I, all the Bible verses right. And oh, all the yeah. Stars and, I memorized Romans 12 for oh, confirmation. I still remember it. Too. Yeah. Wow, so lots of that. Yeah, very much. Our life really centered around the church and people in the church. At what so. point would you say that you um, became a follower of Jesus yourself? Were you really owned it for yourself? Um, I remember asking Jesus into my heart multiple times when I was a child because I was always afraid that I didn't really do it, yeah. that I just thought I did it. Did I get the formula right? That's exactly right. My mom finally said, you know, Deb, if you thought you did it, you did it. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I became a, a Christian fairly early when it became my, it, it, there is for kids who have brought, been brought up in the church, there is a point where you have to say, is this really just, am I doing this because my parents yeah. told is me to? Is it culture? Is right. it religion? Or would I, I would I, if I had grown up in a different family, would I have made the same right choice? Yeah. I remember asking myself that if it wasn't so natural. And I'm not sure that happened until even after college. Yeah. Because I went to a Christian school too, where oh. it was Christian college. And it can be easy at a Christian college to be, nominal yeah in your faith and that's yeah. so funny i my first semester of college was in abilene texas and mm -hmm. i went to a christian college as well mm -hmm. thinking that it was a christian college yeah and the president <laughs> quickly uh dispelled that notion um at the first commencement he said some of you thought that you came to a christian college and i was like oh he's talking to me yeah and uh and then he said no no this is a college with christians yeah. And, uh, and yes, we have Christian values and everything, mm -hmm. but understand that it's very different. Mm -hmm. I found that same thing to be true. That mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to play games in some ways. Right. Um, because yeah. you think the faith is just a given. Right. 
And you don't, I don't even remember going to church during that time. When all of your friends are Christians, right. you don't feel as compelled, or I, I didn't feel compelled. In quotes, right? In right. quotes, Christians. Right. And none of yeah. them seems to have a, a desire to right. <laughs> go to church. Well, you got to sleep yeah. in on Sunday uh, mornings, yeah. you know. So asking those <laughs> questions of self-awareness, man, that's just so key. It is. It's so critical. Right. So I actually, what I, I think the first time I really faced it was, I think it was a year out of school. I went to Labrie, but not in Switzerland, unfortunately, to, um, uh, in Massachusetts, they yeah. had a place there and I spent a month there and, uh, really had to face, had to ask those questions. Now, there's a it gentleman was profound. at Grace Point who helped lead Labrie efforts in the U S with Francis Schaefer. Oh, you have to introduce me to this person. And okay. Members of Grace Point, you would love to, to connect. Okay. So uh, some of you are listening and you're wondering, what in the world is Labrie? <laughs> Labrie is not a cheese. That's it is not. Term. It is not. Labrie uh, is, a, is a little town, but it's also an organization that was started by Francis and Edith Schaefer, mm -hmm. who were missionaries to Europe and decided to make their home a place where college students could come and just ask major questions. Mm -hmm. And that grew into... Uh, kind of a, a, way, a, a safe haven to ask deep questions of faith and mm -hmm. to start to uh, either become a believer or once you're a believer to also really um, put roots right. that were solid that, that would mm -hmm. help you later on. I've met mm -hmm. a lot of people who've gone through Labrie and mm -hmm. I have yet to have a bad experience mm -hmm. meeting someone who's, who's yeah. gone to Labrie. It um, was good for me. That's it was very so, good. so, okay. Yeah. So wait, so you were in, you were raised in Rhode Island. Yes. You went to uh, you graduated high school. Yes. And you went to a Christian school in Chicago. Why? Why should it was denominational? Okay. Good. The Evangelical Covenant Church was what I grew up in. And so you looked for a good Christian institution yeah. that was. I went, it was where my parents met. Okay. All right. <laughs> so so you went to their their old. They alma went to their alma mater. Yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. And then a graduate school where? Illinois University of Illinois. University Champaign. of Illinois. Got yeah. It. And you did Massachusetts somewhere in there, or no. was that later? Was when was Labrie? Oh, Labrie was in between. I didn't go back to grad school for five years. Okay, got and it. So I worked and went to Labrie. I did a number of different. Did you things. stay in the Chicago area in those five years? I kind of went back and forth. I was lost and confused. I so for five <laughs> years you just Rhode Island, and Rhode Florida. Island, Chicago, Labrie, just kind got of it. trying to figure out what to do. That's great. Next, Fantastic. so decided grad school and ended up in Champaign. Champagne. Mm -hmm. Ed. Yes. You've been on a slow jog. It's your turn. I, I'm here. Okay. All right. So uh, I was born in New Jersey. So that's East Coast. You're a New Jersey boy. Well, up until junior high, we moved down. My dad no, that's pretty. If you're yeah. up until junior high, you're a Jersey boy. Like that's, that's, a, that's true. Where in, where in Jersey? Uh, the town was Ironia. It's North Jersey, near Morristown, Dover, all those kind of places. And your dad, if I recall, built your home. He did. Like your dad was uh, this guy who could build anything, could yes. pretty much figure anything out. Right. That was, that was Stan Wine. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Stan. Grew up on a farm, figured out. You had to do everything by yourself there. So he grew up on a farm. Yeah. So when he was growing up, he knew that he could do things by himself. Yeah. So I grew up being his helper. You were his helper and tool fetcher, <laughs> holder. So you soon learn. You soon learn the difference between an Allen wrench, yes, and Phillips head, and all that good stuff. But Did inherit all the skill though. So yeah, don't you wish that was yeah. inheritable? Mm -hmm. Or the other hand, if it is inheritable, yeah. then the problem is, is that the lack of skill would also be inheritable. That's, that's true. That's, <laughs> that's no bueno. That's all right. That's no good. So, uh, how many siblings? Uh, two sisters. One, Joy Hastings. Right here, yeah. yeah. Probably half the people in church haven't figured out that we're siblings yet because half of half of Grace Point is and, and everybody who figures related. it out comes up and says, "You're Joy's brother." Yeah, yeah. Well, two great people from a fantastic right. family yeah. and uh, fantastic parents. And you moved out here. You said in junior high. Yes, in Naperville. Yeah, and uh, parents also believers. Yes, and strong believers. Yes, very much so. And so uh, describe to me the environment kind of growing up. Well, my sisters and I laugh because my mom was, we, we grew up in a, New Jersey. The church was very small, small to the point where it got kind of empty in the sanctuary and they pulled the four pews around in a circle so it wouldn't oh, seem so empty. That's so, very small. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. much dying. Yeah. And uh, my sisters and I joke that 
we didn't have a different Sunday school teacher than my mom until we moved out here. To There's Ohio. other Sunday school teachers in the world <laughs> exactly. besides your parents? It's like, wait a minute, mom. I thought you were like a kindergarten Sunday school teacher. Now you're first grade. Oh, now you're a second grade teacher. You keep moving up. <laughs> yeah, it, it was amazing. So very much a Christian home. Um, and did you, so you moved out in junior high with your yeah. family? My dad was, uh, he worked for AT&T Bell Labs and he got transferred out here. And transferred to Naperville. Yes, along with a whole bunch of other New Jersey people. So. And are you Naperville Central or Naperville North? I am Naperville Central. Central all day long. <laughs> all day long. And my youngest son, also a graduate of <laughs> uh, Naperville Central. Uh, for, again, for those listening who may not know, there's there's a small rivalry between <laughs> high schools in Naperville. Naperville has a surprising number of high schools. Yes, it does. There's yeah. quite a few, so mm -hmm. it's not just North or Central. Mm -hmm. But um, so uh, raised in Naperville, parents are believers. At what point do you start attending Naperville Bible Church, which was the name of Grace Point before mm -hmm. it was Grace Point? Pretty much as soon as we got here. Okay. We looked around and uh, this church was an alive church. It was, uh, you know, it had, you taught the Bible, my parents were happy with that, and there were actually people there, which was kind of a nice bonus compared to where we've been. So you're, I mean, here you are, you moved from, I'm just thinking through this. You're moving yeah. from New Jersey to Naperville as a junior higher going into high school. That's, yeah. that's not exactly the easiest time of life for a boy to kind of enter into a new environment. Yeah. It, um, it wasn't terrible. Actually, back then there was a whole, probably 20% of Naperville then would move in okay. and then move out again two years later to go somewhere else. So it was a very transient town around that time. So and it wasn't feel terribly that unusual. You were here and you yeah. felt like yeah. the transient setup. Yeah. yeah. So uh, were you a believer when you arrived? Did you become yes. a follower later? No, so, I so was you, a believer. So you became a believer in yeah. New Jersey? Yes. As a, as a small kid, kind of like Debs. I think Naperville Bible Church was probably the place as like a high school student where I became more serious about my faith because we had a good group of people here. Yeah. Uh, Ken Hall was pastor then and he was, uh, you know, he'd pull out and he'd, we'd do a section of scriptures every week for the sermon. So it was it was not fluff that we went through. You were, you were being grounded in yeah. the scripture. Yeah. At what point do you start getting excited about, um, you know, so I was raised as a pastor's kid, yeah. and I should have been super excited every Sunday, but there, that wasn't the case. Um, but I can remember a point in my journey becoming more excited about scripture, more excited about theology, uh, kind of more excited about kind of growing in it, as opposed to just trying to survive through it, um, or do the best I could following, you know, and, and uh, learning the, yet another flannel graph les lesson on Daniel, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> I don't know if it's been an on-off switch, and it's kind of been up and down yeah. over the years. Um, I think in high school and college I was. I think some later years we've been busy and stuff, and it's it's hard to maintain that sometimes when, yeah. when life gets... So high school and college, though, you were very engaged. Yeah, I think so. Was, so yeah. you were like, this is uh, engaged with faith. Did that make you... Uh, did you feel like a minority... Student, like, oh yeah, definitely. As in, in, in a high school, kind of like I'm a Christian and I'm alone in this thing. Or, um, or I've got my, my sisters, you know. But I, I think we had a group at church that was, you know, I think Deb had the same experience. Right. You had, you knew people at high school and they were kind of acquaintances, but they weren't your best friends. Probably the people you hung out with from church were the best mm -hmm. friends. Were, were my best friends mm -hmm. in high school. Did you both find growing up um, in smaller church situations? Um, and I'm just, I'm asking this because I had a very similar experience. One of the things that it did for me was, uh, I knew that I would follow regardless of whether the church was big or small or cool or not cool. I, right. I had kind of decided that I was going to follow and mm -hmm. my follow, my, my following Jesus was not based on the quality of the production. For right. A better term. It wasn't a place to go get entertained. Yeah. Ever. You were there to grow. You were there to grow. You were there for relationships. Mm -hmm. And it was multi-generational. I think that was a huge part that meant a lot to me was that it wasn't, you didn't just hang around with people your own age. I knew, you knew everybody. And so you had a lot of substitute grandparents there who who really took 
took relationship with you as a child very seriously. Yeah, knew you and would like right. be surrogate grandparents where you needed right. it. But also that village can correct sometimes. Oh, as absolutely. Well. <laughs> right? And I think both our parents were very involved with serving and not right. the, not the um, not the front stage kind of serving, but the back stuff. Just know? being faithful and right. um, yeah, diligently. Like turning the lights off and locking the church or coming and fixing the sinks in the women's restroom, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, the, uh, there's um, you know, it's so funny. A lot of people want massive applause right. for service, but scripture's pretty clear. If you're doing yeah. it for the applause, it's, and, it's the wrong and, motive. And our right. parents just did that. So for us, it was kind of like. It was what everybody did. Right. You know that it, and you served where there was a need. And I think when I look at where my parents served, they most mostly throughout served where the, their giftedness was. But they didn't stop. If there was a need somewhere, they would. You just do it. Well, you have both carried that forward in spades, I mean, just in terms of you know, generation mm -hmm. to generation. There's a beautiful passage of scripture that in Psalms that talks about from generation mm -hmm. to generation, showing mm -hmm. uh, generation till you works to another. Right. And. Um, you, you have both really carried forward and retained that sense of, well, let's just serve. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it would be like to go to a church and just, just on Sunday mornings and just, then leave. Yeah. Just and then just, yeah, I, to me, that, that doesn't even, that's not desirable or appealing at all. Uh, what a great word. Now, by the way, how did you come to that conclusion of not desirable or appealing? Because for a lot of people that is appealing. Like, sure. Of course you'd show up and uh -huh. then, you you did your thing right and it was great you got some goosebumps and you, mm -hmm. you heard something from scripture and you walked away right right but you're that's, like that's not even appealing that's well that's what that's like watching a tv a good tv show you know yeah. you don't it doesn't hold you that when i think back on my life in the church where the the beauty comes from the relationships mm -hmm. and from seeing other people grow and being able and no coming away from a situation and knowing you know that that person's life is better, like not yeah. too much, just because of the interaction we have or because yeah. um, of this Bible study we were in or, or something. That's, that's what church is to me. Yeah. And no, whole, that's such a, yeah, that's a, yeah. such a scriptural description. And um, what a beautiful turn of phrase. I don't know if you noticed it, but you said it doesn't hold you. Mm -hmm. um, well, I would say that's true. The idea that you're actually held right. by Christ and held in community and, and held with regard to kind of being a part of a body mm -hmm. as opposed to passing through every seven days. Right. 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 And you're a part of something that's moving. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think we are in, uh, Ed, you have just graduated high school and now <laughs> you're going to college. I'm going to college. Where, where'd you go to college? University of Illinois, Champaign. Champaign. And stayed, there, I. stayed there for, uh, so that's where you met Deb. It yeah. is, but I was there for four years, got my undergraduate. Turned, actually got a job with uh, Lucent at the time. Okay. And they sent me back down there for a year to get my master's. Were you surprised that you got sent back down there or no. were you glad? No, it was kind of, it was the uh, alumni part of getting hired in kind of, oh, here's this package. We can send you back for your master's kind of thing. Oh, Sounds good great. to me. Oh, great. Get paid for going to school for a year. That's good. So how does uh, Ed meet Deb and Deb meet Ed in Champaign, Illinois? <laughs> post-grad see this is where you know it's similar to some other stories you've had here is the graduate intervarsity christian fellowship yeah i i knew I, I was looking for it when i got there my parents had been really involved with the early movement of intervarsity when they were in grad school back in the 40s and they my dad was always the faculty uh you know faculty uh sponsor of the groups at the colleges he taught at. So I knew I was entering into this, this world, this strange world of graduate school. I knew I needed it. And so. Well, and within, plus yeah. having just come out of five years with Labrie and some of that okay. other stuff. Mm -hmm. So as you were going in, you know, it always fascinates me. Why do people choose? Cause there are Christians who go on campuses that don't choose university right. or choose the navigators or mm -hmm. choose camp crew or right. anything like that. But the reasons that people do, especially mm -hmm. believers strikes me as really courageous and important mm -hmm. because uh and I, i'd love to know what your motivation was you know what i keep hearing is well i got on campus and 
I want to meet people and a part of meeting people is is sharing mm-hmm. some really basic beliefs and basic right. direction. Mm-hmm. And um, I met some people and sometimes you're not sure who you meet, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you hope you meet someone who's alive. Right. Like, like there's a real beating heart. Mm-hmm. And those organizations, those parachurch organizations with college campuses tend to have great beating hearts. Yes. Because they're in environments, as you know, from mm-hmm. teaching at universities that aren't necessarily there's a right. lot of questioning going on. They're not yes. necessarily friendly mm-hmm. to Jesus as an exclusive mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I you know I'd said before that it, it it when I went to a Christian college, it was easy to be nominal. When you go to a, a state school like that, and you're going, especially going into graduate programs where it, it's a little more intense. Yeah. You got to choose. A lot of debate. You have to know what you believe, and you're going to go one way or the other. I don't see how you can be nominal Mm -hmm. in those situations. So you were really kind of forced to decide and just decide this is going to be a different. I've got right. I need. I need these relationships. I need. I need to be in. And I knew they had a big small group. I needed to be in a small group, but they also had larger groups too. So that's where I went. So you bring a really unique perspective. Because um, we might have some listeners going, well, what difference does it make whether I'm, you know, uh, with a group of Christians who say they're Christians, but mm-hmm. we're not doing anything uh-huh. versus Christians who are actually doing something. You had mm-hmm. four years of Christians, but mm-hmm. whatever, we'll sleep in. Mm-hmm. But then you had a bunch of Christians who were like, no, no, let's go change the world. Right, right. And let's change what's happening in our departments. And and let's know how to respond when we come up against opposition, because we came comes. up against opposition, an awful lot of opposition. That's the, so. beauty, that's the beauty of it mm-hmm. as well. Right. And Ed, did you, so did you guys meet at the first university? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first, first time. First one of the semester. Yeah. And was it, uh, was it, uh, I like her at first sight? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, this is like, oh, this guy's interesting. Yeah. And, and then, like, then ask how long it took me to ask her out. Yeah. That... How long did it take you to ask her out? Like four months? Six months. Oh, you're yeah. So you knew immediately. And then, well, you admitted you're, you jogged. You admitted right. That's right. Exactly. You can't move too fast. And he didn't fast. seem like the kind of guy that I could, you know, after a while, I was like, should I say something to him? And right. I thought, no, I need to let him. So you liked him too, pretty much immediately. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, I, I, in fact, to the church that I went to, I only went because I found out that was where he was going to church and a bunch of us would go out for oh, brunch wow. after it's church. It's like God just brought you both there to go, okay, it's time for you two That's to right. know each other. Exactly. And, uh, you've gone on alone long enough. Yeah. It's time to connect. That's right. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So you guys uh, have met, uh, love really mm-hmm. almost at first sight, takes you four to six months. <laughs> You date uh, and mm-hmm. uh, two believers and uh, graduate. Um, I, he graduated that year. I was, uh, you know, I was on the seven year plan. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I, we, we got married when I finished my coursework and I could move up here because he had his job up here. So we were long distance for most of our dating and was relationship. That, how was that for you? How was it to have a long distance it was, it was fine. It, were you like, you know, we would every, every other weekend we would, you know, kind of go back and forth and like talk on the phone. Her, she'd come up because it's two hours. So, yeah. So you, would, yeah. you would see each other, right. but, uh, right. Did you write letters or anything like that? No. I don't know if we, there was no email. Was there email back? No. <laughs> I don't not. think there was no email. I, I don't even there remember. Was, I think there was an email. I re, we called a lot. We called a lot. And I remember that the, the Hinsdale phone office burned down oh, during right. that time. So there was, it was like six or eight weeks where we couldn't call each other. Yeah. Cause he didn't, didn't have phone service. Yeah. No so cell phones. So here you are, you're both believers uh-huh. and you're, you've been dating long distance. You decide to get married. You start, you get married. And I know that when believers start off, mm-hmm. you know, as, as much as you know each other and you love each other, there's that determination that God needs to be central in this. But then you get to know the mm-hmm. other person. Mm-hmm. And um, there's like, I'm so glad I'm stuck with you. And then it's like, oh, we're stuck together. <laughs> and, uh, and you start to realize that God really put the other person in your life yeah. to help sharpen you. In yes, ways. definitely. How did you guys experience that? Can you relate like your, uh, your marriage um, in that season of life to your growth? How did that, what did that teach you about? God or about your journey or mm-hmm. about life in general? Hmm. Hmm. I, pr- the importance of prayer. 
I think I remember we you know, like we'd been married six weeks and we were struggling with not not something in the relationship, but a decision to be made. I don't know if you remember this at all. And we made the decision and then we both looked at each other and said, maybe we should pray about this. It's amazing. Right? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And we decided we would commit to praying about it. And the, the answer of prayer was the opposite of the decision we had made and we both were really confident that it was now, what god was saying familiar with that mm -hmm. uh, it's not surprising but a lot of people when you say our minds were made up we decided it was one thing but then we prayed and suddenly it was another thing mm -hmm. um and some people think oh god what you, you heard voices something happened can you it, it, this is a, i'm asking a near impossibility <laughs> and i know that because in some ways you're trying to describe water but um can you can you talk a little bit about hearing God's will? Maybe as you know, because we say hear God's voice, but really, what does it mean to know God's will? How did, how have you found that best understood? Is that you came together, you prayed about it, one person went, you know, I just have a peace mm -hmm. about this. Or how did you just how did you even talk about mm -hmm. it? You know, okay, so this is kind of a sidestep before I get to back where the question is, but I think marriage kind of teaches you a little bit about that because you're used to making decisions inside your own head yeah and when you get married it's what's inside your head plus your spouse and then if you're a christian it's slow down even farther and say you know god what's you, your mind on what's this? your mind on this too and it's not that you hear a voice but i think it's sometimes you take the time to stop and think and a lot of it is based on what you know of God and what you know of scripture mm. and all that kind of stuff and kind of factoring that in. Mm. And then sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is adding a little something more. But I think a lot of it is just slowing down enough and asking. Mm -hmm. and, well, that's so key. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. so key. There's so much that you said there that I think is really, really helpful, uh, in part because the, the dialogue, the decision-making, there's several interesting things about kind of this example. First, as a married couple, you're both believers, but you don't take it for granted that the other person is praying individually. Instead, you decide to pray together, and you say, "Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna let's both of us pray on this." Mm -hmm. uh, so, you, so there's some coordination there. You, because you're both Christians, you make Jesus Lord, which means what He wants actually trumps what you want. Right? Or you already made that pre-decision, and then. Uh, Exactly what you described, Ed, about scripture and context and hearing the tone of God, right? Is there something about no? the more you know God's word, the more you have been around God's people and you have journeyed with God, in some ways, the easier it is to distinguish his yeah. tone from your own. There's not always, it's not always an automatic. No. But it, I think it, in certain examples, it, it can make, it can be pretty clear. And once you know it's clear, at that point, it's really obey or right. disobey, right? And having, you know, in that situation, a lot of situations when you, you both come out of it saying, this is the way we should go, even though you maybe wish it had gone another direction or one of you wish, then you can be pretty confident. And mm -hmm. looking back, I know God was right. You know, I know that we heard God's voice correctly in that situation. It was have the right thing to do. Have you played over and over again where you guys have come up against a decision or a situation mm -hmm. or you guys, you guys just go, okay, let's pray. Is that, has that mm -hmm. become kind of a thing in your life or is that a rarity or how, how do you experience that? Uh, most of the time it's a thing, but sometimes you get to, you get kind of lazy because you say, well, I know what God wants and I know what Deb wants too. So I'll make a decision. And <laughs> that backfires every once in a while you have to, the other person says, uh, hello. <laughs> hello. Yeah. yeah. Is that funny? They assuming. Of yeah. the assumption of it. Well, of mm -hmm. course, we know, right? This right. Is... I'm really good at this. I've lived mm -hmm. with a long time. I know what you'd want, Eric. And just... Right. That's so key because yeah. it keeps us. There's something about uh, that, uh, the way God has set it up, that keeps us from getting too ahead of ourselves yeah. or too mm -hmm. full of ourselves. Right. You know, that humility is really a key part mm -hmm. of the process. Okay. okay. So, so you were, so you both move up. You get a job where? Uh, Lucent Bell Labs. Lucent Bell yeah. Labs. So move back to Naperville? Yeah. Back uh, to Naperville. Aurora. Aurora. Aurora, yeah. Aurora, yeah. So near Naperville. Yeah. We had a small house in Aurora. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then, and have Laura? Um, yes, three years later. Three years later. Three so. years later, we had Laura. 
and uh, uh, attending a church. Attending some, here. Attending yeah. here. So uh, yeah. came back to uh, Naperville Bible Church. At yes. That time. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And, uh, and have been coming. Was that one of the decisions you were talking about? Probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it was hard work because, no you know, decision. we had, uh, you know, we laugh because we almost feel like we have the same upbringing. Mm -hmm. Like we, we could interchange, you know, our stories in a lot of ways. But the church, you know, when it, even even if you're Christians, if you're used to one style of church and yeah. someone else and, and good church and someone else is used to the another style of good church, there still can be conflict and yeah. disagreement because especially when you're, you're giving up a lot of other stuff in marriage yeah. and you're, you're going from, um, you're getting, you're getting a lot of stuff. I was going to say that. You get a lot of stuff too. But you're no, but you're giving a, you know, you're, I've been making the decision my whole life about where I was going to, well, not my whole life after oh, sure. I moved out of the house. And then all of a sudden you need to make this decision together. Yeah. And that, even if you're both looking for the same thing, there can be differences. It's so, so important to dialogue and talk through right, and pray through that. Right. And recognize that and not just assume, no, no, mm -hmm. clearly this is what we're going to do. Sure. Yeah. You know? So, so yes, yeah, so we were here. So I'm not coming back here. And, uh -huh. um, and was it, so this had been new for you to be here, Deb, right? Yes, he grew up here. And Ed yeah. was like, I know this. Right. This community. is the way it works. Yeah. This is, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and what was the key to being... I know there's family that's key to being integrated, but yeah. what was your first service role when you came back? Do you remember how you guys? Oh dear. Was it a thought that, what, by the way, did you struggle with serving or not serving? No, no, I, I, I dove in right away. I think we did three-year-olds for a while. Oh, brave, you know, yeah, brave. we were asked. No, I love, three's the yeah. best. It, the brave part was the junior high ministry. Really? <laughs> we didn't last long. We did, we, that was not a good fit. And not, <laughs> You know what? See, I would have assumed the opposite because uh, in our experience, everybody kept talking about the terrible twos, but we experienced the terrible threes. Oh, the terrible twos. And junior hires to me were just kind of fairly straightforward, you know. Yeah, I think God makes us all different. <laughs> so you guys, you guys, you guys wake up in cold sweat when you think about that Pretty junior hire. That's history. right. Yeah, we. Yeah, yeah. that was not. Uh, hopefully, they've forgiven so, us. Derek, I never thought about losing my faith until. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been here for a very long time. So Laura comes a little bit afterward. Right. And, um, and now you have this family one of the three. Right. And uh, you're trying to raise her. At the same time, you guys are growing in your faith. Mm -hmm. And how? And, and you said sometimes it's up and down in the growth pattern. Mm -hmm. um, what, where would you say was a pivot point for you? Or would you say there was a pivot point? You know, some people that grow gradually and mm -hmm. they just find themselves so they're mature. But other people... They, especially when you look back, you go, oh, that was the character thing. Like, I remember I'm a different yeah. person now. That was the character thing I had to like, God had to like kill in my mm -hmm. life in order for me to become who I am today. What, how did you both experience that? Well, I can point to something. I When Laura was three, I had a, um, a midterm miscarriage oh, and got very sick. I ended up in ICU for a while and uh, then, you know, That's scary. it was, it was extremely yes. scary, <laughs> except he was probably more scared yeah. than I was because I was out of it in ICU, but it, it, um, it affected my health, you know, being that sick mm -hmm. combined with the grief yeah. of losing a child. And it was probably two years of a very, very difficult road, very dark night. And that was a pivot point for me because kind of like what we were talking about before up until then it was as long you know i'm the good girl and as long as you're it's not salvation by works it wasn't that at all it sure. was god will bless me if i'm a good girl and if, as long as we make the right decisions god will i'm going to have a good life and so you know wanting another child is not a bad thing you know right. and i was i thought i was walking in god's will and then everything fell apart and so I became very angry with God and very. How dare you not do this? Exactly. You know how dare I've you take. Doing. Exactly. How dare. Not, I know it's not by works, but you do like to bless the faithful. Right. Been faithful. Right. And uh, so that, that was a very, very difficult time, but it was transformative mm -hmm. in my faith and mm -hmm. really realizing 
you, know, you, you think those things, you know, you dismiss the, the news about people dying for their faith you know, yeah. in other countries. You know, obviously it's not true if that happens elsewhere. But that, that was transformative for me, that yeah. whole period of time. You came, so, out of, uh, uh, you came out of it with, uh, with what, a greater dependence on God, a greater perspective? And... Greater perspective. It's still something I struggle with, though. Yeah. It, I think you have it ingrained in your mind, you know, how, you know, cause I've been dealing with, you know, the back and hip pain for yeah. quite a number of years. Like God, not easy, not easy at all. God, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you know, can't you do something about this God kind of yeah. thing. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing, but that. It's I frustrating. Think, right? yeah. like, God, you can do anything. Yes. Yes. Right? We, and we yeah. answer prayers. So we've been praying. Mm -hmm. And I know you can heal. So but, why are you not? Right. Right. Why not me? Right. But I did it. I came out of that whole situation back then with really a greater dependence on God and, a, and prayer became and I, a, you know, I had a pretty intensive prayer ministry here at church during that because I wasn't working during that time. And um, prayer really that became a part of my life, so a significant part of my life. And it hadn't been before. So I so, so. love that. I, mm -hmm. There's. You know, because that is such a painful process. Right. And like you said, we've been going through it these, these uh, last several years mm -hmm. as well. Um, but to walk away going, no, I'm going to depend more, not less. Right. You know, and that's something yeah. the only Holy Spirit can. Right. You only get there, right, through mm -hmm. walking through some things that otherwise mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to walk through. And that, I, I just want to mention, too, in during that time, I really thought that God had abandoned me. Mm -hmm. And then looking back, I realized I, I almost heard his voice saying this to me one time said i didn't abandon you i was with every person who brought you a meal wow. you know that was me at that door you know with with the meal for seven weeks it was me writing the i got tons of letters so it just as an encouragement for people to serve making a meal for you know doubling the recipe and bringing it to somebody else is as impactful a ministry and service as any Absolutely. of the big name things out there or just writing a card to somebody who it can make an eternal difference. It can make an life. eternal difference. And yeah. so it, that, and that was where God showed up for me because I was kind of shutting him out everywhere else. What a great choice also. And I do think it's a choice that um, you know, some people have a lot of love shown to them mm -hmm. and they chose, they choose to take that for granted. Mm hmm. And, uh, and not see God and see, yeah, God, but, mm -hmm. and, um, you had to make a decision about, no, I'm not going to say, but mm -hmm. that's, that's where God was. That's where he was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how about you? Is there any, did you have a, are you more gradual in that sense? Or do you have a more, I think I am more, I mean, we've gone through, you know, I think everybody has difficulties at different times. Um, probably for me, it was getting laid off mm -hmm. um, and not, being able to find work for like six months, which isn't long compared to some it's people. It's brutal when you're going through it. <laughs> it. It's tough when you're going through especially for a guy, I think, because yeah. so much you of have identity this, and validation right, and mm -hmm. right, all that kind of stuff. And it's harder to get a job when you don't have a job, right? Than it is to get a job when you mm -hmm. have a job. Yes, yeah, so I've gotten many jobs when I have. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I probably uh, I, I jump quicker now. Yeah, if the skies start darkening. Yeah, but. That was hard for me, but I think that was after Deb had become more of a praying person. So I yeah. think that actually, oh, I had a, yeah. you had a praying wife. I had a praying life. wife, so that helped a lot. That's there were, huge. There well, were, yeah, and I mean, yeah. wives can either lift you up or uh, kind of tear you down in that uh -huh. situation too. So I was definitely being lifted up, so that helped. But still, oh, it, was, it was. That's actually, yeah. I, listen, I'm just going to pause there because yeah. that is such a true statement that yeah. you're, uh, wives or your spouse can either lift you up or tear you down in moments of real vulnerability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to have someone next to you that's willing to come alongside mm -hmm. and build it and not do it just because they are like, yeah, I'm just naturally wired this way, but do it because no, I follow Jesus. I'm lifting you up before the father. Right. You know, at the time there's also, a, I don't know if there was at the time of your, <laughs> when you were going through this, but I recall there was a series of books like Stony Omarion on the praying life and some other. Oh, I, I don't think did. I ever read them, but I remember those. Yeah. I think the interesting thing was when he was out of work, I wasn't nervous at all. Really? I, I would, I knew God had us. And I was nervous. He, he yeah. was nervous. I wasn't. I, and I would be 
and I, I did have a big prayer ministry at the time. And there would be times I'd be driving around town and he had applied at a certain place. And I would just feel the Holy Spirit saying, go to that parking lot and pray. And I'd say, God, I can pray for that anywhere. Why do I? But it was just such a huge compulsion. So there were three occasions where I went over. He had no idea where I was. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the parking lot just crying out to God. And that was where he got a job. It was a very interesting. I, I, that does, hasn't happened to me a lot in life. Yeah. But I think that's why I had confidence this is going to work because I knew the Holy Spirit was drawing me to go pray there for some reason. Well, I hope the, I hope uh, the listeners of this podcast are really paying close attention to the language and the expression here because, um, so having gone through uh, a time where you had to learn to be dependent and emerging from that as a praying person, having already experienced God's voice in making decisions having kind of gone, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to be dependent. I'm going to be proactive. And then again, this sounds so alien for, for other people. I mean, God told you to go to a parking lot and pray. And, and that sounds alien. It sounds mm -hmm. foreign unless God is real. Yeah. And when you're like, no, no, I don't think you understand. I, I have a relationship with a person who does speak in clear ways. And I can't fully explain the how of that or even the sound of it. I can tell you right. it's consistent with scripture. I can tell you, but I can tell you that I know it. Right. And that's the, you, so as you were talking, my brain went to the passage of scripture that said, was it my sheep? Know my, my voice. voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They know my voice. Mm -hmm. And that's just so true. Like what a beautiful expression of obedience. Mm -hmm. And then to, or find yourself in a parking lot just crying out to God. Yeah. You know, even just crying, you know, is, is mm -hmm. wow. Mm -hmm. know, what a beautiful thing. So six months later, you, you found a job. Yeah. I did. And so God answered prayer mm -hmm. did. there. And uh, if there is one thing that you would love to encourage our listeners, you know, the people who are listening to this podcast, uh, are going, I would love to have some kind of tip. You, you've had years with Jesus. You, you, you're, you're still following. He's still doing a work in you, but you're on the other side of where I'm at. Cause you know, when you're immersed in the process towards spiritual maturity, right? When you're on that roller coaster of love, you know, or you just discovered that Ezra was a book in the Bible, you know, and, and <laughs> you, you're still working out what role this free will have if God is sovereign and all that stuff. Um, or you're trying to figure out how to be gracious to people that you don't like, um, or you're going through a major character moment, right? This moment where God was doing something in you that you weren't even sure needed to be done. Um, that process can feel so endless, right? And sometimes you just need someone on the other side going, hey, here's a tip. Here's here's something to pay attention to. So if, if, if either one of you had one or both of you, what would be one piece of advice you would give a young believer um, that you think would really pay big dividends for them? Make sure you're in community, I think is the, mm. I could, it, the thing for me is you can't, this, it, it's not meant to be an individual mm. road. It's, you need to be in community with people who you serve and who serve you, you know, not just to receive, but to, to commit to, I guess. No, that's beautiful. And yeah. By the way, uh, in Western culture, we emphasize individualism. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, church is one of those areas that can teach mm -hmm. us. Oh, it's not. It's not about right. you. It's like it's you get to be in a group. Right. There's something about that dynamic. That whole deal of iron sharpens iron. It's hard mm -hmm. to be sharpened if you don't. Right. You're not around other people yeah. to sharpen you. And stick with it. I mean, you may you know don't go one night and say you know this is. Yeah, I don't know if these people are for me, whatever. You know, sometimes it takes a couple of years before you really realize, oh, you know, I have a lot to learn from that person. I didn't think I could ever learn anything from that person, but that's I have a lot to learn from them. So, it, you know, commit to community, I guess, for me. Well, that's a yeah. great principle. Commit to community. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a sermon title. I gotta okay. Ed, <laughs> how about you? I, I think I'd kind of go the same way. Um, I remember even when we were in university, typically the last, your senior year, if you were an undergrad, they they had a retreat every year. And if you went that year, 
you'd be put on the track where a lot of what they said was, you know, here's how you find a church. Here's how you find a small group. You need to be in a small group because you've been in a small group all through college. And they said, you know, don't stop now. You need to keep in community. And I think we've, we've been, we've been in a lot of small groups since. We've been in a lot of small groups. The one we're in right now, we've been together for a long time. So we've, we've tried to stay in a, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And not necessarily one that, yeah. Sometimes we're tempted just to be with people who are just like us. Right. Um, sometimes the best small groups are people who are at different stages of life. Yeah. Especially if you're a new believer, being around people who have walked the road before. Can they can really, lend a little perspective. They really right? can, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, uh, my my wife had the benefit of that with my mom. Uh-huh. You know. And, and this would be, Melissa would say, says this openly, that, you know, one of the best things for her growth was she had someone who was older and wiser to go, hey, listen, yeah, here's some perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been one of Deb's themes since the beginning. She's like, I don't want to be in just a group where people are. Yeah. I want to be with some older people, too. Yeah, especially and when we were we younger. Now we don't have to worry about but that. But the, the, the older, older people. people. <laughs> I want to be in a room with some older people. You're at the end of the line. <laughs> exactly. You guys are still pretty young, so I don't know about that. But, uh, Not feeling it. I tell you what, I, we're kind of a weird season two where we're, when we look around the group, we're going, oh, that we're them. Yeah. Like, the people that you used to look at and go, mm -hmm. you know, why would you want to hang out with me? Like, we got our own thing going on. Right. Here, well, we're going to be grandparents in the next few weeks, and so that... It's like, great. Guys. I know. I'm excited. I'm speaking as a grandparent. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. You're going to love fun. it. I know. You're love I'm, it. I'm so excited. So, well, congratulations mm -hmm. on the new grandbaby that's coming. Yes. Still praying for safe delivery. Yes. And all that. Yes. And, uh, thank you guys for your faithfulness in the church. Um, but I don't just mean stick to itiveness. I mean faithfulness to God, faithfulness to community, that faithfulness in the best sense of the word. word I don't think it's any accident that when we get to heaven, the words we long to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. You know, that is a, that's not a small word. And in fact, that's part of my life verse. And so a lot of people look up to you for those reasons. Thank you for that. But I don't think we, it's not like we, oh, we have to go to church again. We got to do this. We get a lot more out. Yeah, we feel like we're putting in. Absolutely. Well, I know it's not yeah. a drudgery. Yeah. For, no. Um, but again, uh, just I just want to be the one to say thank you. Mm -hmm. Really, thank You're you. Welcome. And, and the church has benefited, and you have impacted more people than you could possibly know. So, thank you. Thanks for being a part of this. Okay. Thank you. All right.